Okay, so, let's go to the book of Jude, verse number 21 today. We are closing in toward the end of our study here, and that almost makes me sad, because I enjoy this book so very much. But verse number 21 is where our focus will be predominantly today. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Lord, please help us again. You always are good and faithful to us to help us understand your word and to grow thereby. And, and so we've got much to learn today and apply today. And I pray that you will sufficiently challenge our hearts to, to bring us to a, a desire to do the very thing that you're telling us to do. So help us to understand so that we can live it out and bring glory to your name. We ask that now because we've got your word open and we need your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in the personal section of the commands from verse number, uh, technically we started in verse number 17 and we're moving down to verse number 20. Three in the command section. This is where it comes on the church. Right? How are we to respond is what we're dealing with. And this is the, I call it the personal section, 17 through 21. Um, it's personal for all of us. It's our responsibility. And it's very important that we understand that this is not something we could just walk away from and say, well, it's not, it's not important for me, it's not involving me, it's about everybody else, maybe a few people, but it's not me. Uh, I want all of us, as we read these words, to think, this is about me. All right? It's personal. And it's a responsibility that each of us have. And the reality is we just can't leave brothers and sisters behind on this one. We need each other in order for the church to be in it, to be set where it's not going to fall to false teaching where it is set to mature in the faith where it is set and ready and able to assist brothers and sisters in need we have a responsibility to one another and if nothing else comes out from all these commands that we're reading that you're to take personally. If you won't do it for yourself, please do it for your brother and sister in Christ. Because this is for all of us. This is how we help each other out. Um, the fact is this, and I'll just say it for what it is. Not everyone would desire to be mature. Not everyone is going to be thinking that way. Not everyone is going to protect themselves uh, in the case of false teaching. And not everyone is going to be prevented from falling because of that. Something falls, or the consequence of the burn of sin, or whatever you want to call it, uh, there is, in reality, those who will not listen and will become the very things we're talking about here today. I'd like to just simply say there is a remedy to all that, and it's right here in the book of Jude, and we're to take it seriously and there are, in verse 17 through 21, two commands. Two commands. All right, I've been on it for a while, so now you can help me. What's command number one? Remember the word, verse 17. And what's command number two? Keep yourselves in the love of God. All right, those two are the commands. Now, in the midst of that, we've been on the three descriptions of those who do it. 
And that's in verse 20 and 21. And what are those three descriptions? Building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Waiting for Jesus. Waiting anxiously for the, the mercy of our Lord. Yes. Those are the things we are circling round and round and round and round. And we want to keep working on that and make sure we're doing that. So remember, that's item number one. And I, I bring that out all the time. Because I believe we need to know the Word of God. I believe you need that. I need that. We all need that. To know the Word of God. And there's an urgency in that command. In verse 17, we're called to remember, and like I said, you can't remember what you have never read. You cannot remember what you have ever learned. And we must remember, so it comes back to, read the Bible. Alright? That's essential for us, that's where our growth takes place. And then we have three descriptive terms, and remember these description terms are real simple. In verse 20, you are to be, this is personal, you are to be building yourselves up. You are to constantly be building yourself up. And I've been pretty hard on that lately, haven't I? I've been stomping on you and everything else. Because if you're not, you're disobeying. You're not living up to what you're described to be. That's what we're all called to be, building ourselves up in the faith. And you're also... And I'm also to be ones who are constantly praying in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 21, we are constantly to be waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We're supposed to keep an eye on the, the skies. He's coming. Live like it. Now, those things are not expecting too much of you. Alright? They're not expecting too much of you. That's what the Christian life should look like. <laughs> That's what we should be doing. They're descriptive terms for a believer. And especially, I would say, a believer living in an ungodly world. And we think we live in such a world. That's so ungodly. Unfortunately, it's infiltrating the churches. And that's where our concern especially comes up. Because we are to be built up in the faith, praying in the Spirit, looking forward to Jesus coming, and ready when the false teacher comes. These things are not optional. They're not attachments to the Christian life. They're very important. They give us our hope. And they give us our strength. And they help us to encourage one another in the faith. And this matters. It matters. And I've said it before you. I've talked about it a lot. But I bring it up to, to you one more time. That this is what we should be doing. And don't start all the excuses. All right. I won't because, I can't because, da-da-da-da-da. Scripture doesn't give you any loopholes, does it? Does it ever say, build yourself up in the faith, unless you have a very taxing job and you don't have time? It doesn't say that. Matter of fact, I would say it even so. The more busy we are, the more we should be doing this. The more the days look evil, the more we should be doing this. Scripture does affirm that over and over again. And I think today is an urgent day. We were reading in Sunday school this morning an article from a book that was written back in 1918, the earliest edition of it. And the last edition was 1939. And he was writing about this passage in Jude. And as he's writing about it, he says it's right there before them. And he described our day 
to the letter. He could have written our newspaper. That was a hundred years ago. And I think, wow, if it was important back then, it's important today. All right, command number two. All that to say, put on your safety belts, here we go. Also, open your minds to hear what the Spirit has to say. It's very important to understand what command number two is doing. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Verse 21. Verse 21. Guard yourselves is a term I can use as well in the definition of the word. Let me walk through the grammatical structure here. Don't turn off just because I said grammar. All right? Verse 20 and 21, they work like this. While you are building yourselves up in the most holy faith, keep yourselves in the love of God. While you are praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. While you are anxiously waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, keep yourselves in the love of God. Those three that we mentioned are your character. What you are to be. The command goes with all of those. Keep yourself in the love of God. The keeping is the command. The keeping is the command. The others are descriptions of those who will keep the command. Okay? Our translations often have words like, keep yourselves in the love of God. Just about every translation I looked up said it the same way. So I'm not even competing with difference between a, a one version or another version. I'm just saying, just about everything you read this morning, if you look right there, it says it, doesn't it? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Somebody might, might, might be thinking, well, does that mean we could fall out of the love of God? What's, what's that? Don't always think that because something says in Scripture something like this, that the opposite is true. I'll tell you something. I argued with a man for five years over the same verse. The verse was in Roman, or Revelation chapter 3. It talked about those who will, God says, and I will not blot you out of the book of life. And he came to me every single week and he said, but that means he could blot you out. I said, but that's not what it says. He says, but it has to be the opposite. It must be true. I said, that's not what it says. It says he will not. And he couldn't see the word not. Five years of that. Guess what? He still held that even after five years. It's because some people say, well, if it says it, then the opposite must be true too. And so keep yourselves in the love of God. That must mean that we can fall out. Now, hang on for a minute. Can you fall out of the love of God? What's Romans 8 say? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. What about distresses? No? What about persecution? No? What about famine? No? And he goes through a whole list. Remember it in Romans 8? Or do we have to go and study all that too? It goes through a whole list. It's abundantly clear. Nothing. Death can't do it. That's pretty powerful. Life can't do it. Angels can't do it. Principalities can't do it. Things present can't do it. Things to come can't do it. Powers can't do it. Height can't do it. Depth can't do it. Nor any other created thing. Are you a created thing? 
So you can't do it. See it? It says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See that? I stop there and I say, wow, this is great. That's good for me to know. That's good for me to know. You say, okay, then what's you doing to us here? Is he messed up on his theology? Jude is not referring to your salvation. Some have so simplified the explanation of Scripture that it doesn't matter. They go Old Testament, they go New Testament, they take any statement they want, and they say, oh, it's all about your salvation. As if that's the only thing God ever wrote about. It's all about your salvation, and whether you keep it or whether you lose it or such like that. But when you enter into a passage like Jude, and you have an understanding of sound hermeneutics, that's the way you approach the Bible, and if you take it literally, contextually, historically, grammatically, that's the right way we should approach God's Word, it's so that it speaks for itself and we don't put ourselves into it. What do you get from this passage? Let me put it in its context. Verse number 1 of the book of Jude, who is he writing to? Believers, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. Verse number four. Who is he warning? For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. He's warning the believers about false teachers. Verse four through sixteen. Not our favorite section of the book. But he characterizes false teachers. Verse number 17, who's he talking to? You, beloved. He's back to it. He's talking to believers. So if you put the context together, he's writing to believers, warning them about false teachers, right? That's the context of the whole book. He doesn't ever step off of that and talk to unbelievers. He doesn't even talk to the false teachers. He just talks to the church. What you need to know. What you need to know. But you, beloved. But you, beloved. He keeps bringing that up. 17, 20. We see that. He's talking to believers. They are believers in God the Father. Said in verse number 1. If you have the King James, you said sanctified there. Which means they're already chosen, set apart for a purpose by God the Father. Which is called a beloved one anyway in verse number 3. So, am I setting the table right for you? He's addressing believers, believers, believers. We have to keep that in our mind here. So why then are believers told, if they're already loved by God, and we know, because Scripture never contradicts itself, that in Romans 8, they can't be separated from the love of God. Why does he tell them, keep yourselves in the love of God? Let's take off what he's not saying. He is not talking about their salvation. And he's not talking about whether there is a threat that they can lose it. That's not his point. That's not what he's writing about. Maybe that's what he had hoped to write about in verse 3, but he couldn't get to that point. He said, I have something much more important to talk to you about. So he's not talking about salvation. We know that a believer, and understand this from our understanding... A believer is either a maturing believer, like we're called to be, 
or, you ready? An immature believer. Are there such things? Yes, there are. An immature believer will not take God's Word seriously, will not be growing in the faith, will not be spending time in the Word, will not be praying, will not be looking for Jesus, will be living in this world like the rest of the world, and people won't even be able to recognize them as different. You want a whole book on that? Call it 1 Corinthians. That's an immature believer. There are immature believers. And that's where a believer is. This is not about his salvation. It's about his maturity. It's written to believers, and especially the maturing kind of believer. Constantly building up, constantly praying, constantly looking for the return of Christ. He says, that's what you are. That's what you are. So I'm going to say, he's writing to a mature believer. So why does he have to tell him, keep yourselves in the love of God? Well, hang that question still before us. And let's also ask another thing. And a discussion here I'll give you just for a second. Jude might be referring as well to a certain danger that exists in the mind of a maturing believer. Danger? What could that danger be? Have you ever met anybody who started to rest upon their own spiritual successes? Oh, I know God's Word better than that guy who's sitting next to me. I pray more than anybody else. I know the Bible well. I spend time in devotions. I'm really expecting the Lord to come. I know the times. I anticipate the return of the rapture. I know what's prominent. No troubles can touch me. No dangers are a risk to me. No task is beyond my ability to accomplish. Do you see what's happening? What is happening to that kind of a person? One little word. Pride. Is it possible that as we grow in the faith, we can be susceptible to another danger? And that of pride? Thinking we're untouchable? Here's a simple a spiritual equation I could set before you. It's shown throughout the Bible. It's something like this. The more one is gifted or growing, the more likely they will become self-sufficient. There's a temptation to look beyond the need for help among brothers and sisters and repeat the very words in 1 Corinthians that says, I have no need of you. And they start to live like that. And in reality, that is a pride issue. And when that starts to develop in a pride issue, do you think the believer is growing? No. What's frightening is they're actually shrinking back to immaturity in their pride. And you know what's worse than that? Pride is a sin in God's eyes. And God says, I will oppose it every place I see it. And I thought, ooh, that sounds pretty dangerous. If we grow in our faith, we ought to become more and more dependent upon God. Not independent. Less of me. More of Him. And those who operate in pride are actually saying, I don't even need God for this one. You see where it could lead? 
It can be very dangerous to take our eyes off of Him in the process of growing. As a maturing believer, described as a maturing kind who's constantly building up, constantly praying, constantly looking for the return of Christ, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. He just brings you right back to a point which reminds you again, it's not you. It's Him. It's all about Him. Let me try to explain this picture to you, and then I think you'll understand what I'm, I'm trying to get at. Two stories. First story. My oldest daughter, Carrie, was four years old. We lived in Butler, Indiana. Some of you have been through there accidentally, I'm sure. Um, it's right up in the top corner of Indiana, right on the Ohio border. There were two highways that came through there. One was called Route 6, and it goes all the way across the northern states there. Um, and it was just a block north of us. And then State Road 1 was a block to our east. And we were a block away from both of those, where the church was and the parsonage was set up. We were on a little street called Oak Street. And the church and the parsonage sat about 20 feet apart which was kind of neat because you could open up one window and yell into the church on the other side where my office was and say, pick up the phone, it's for you! Because we had one phone that went through both buildings. So it was kind of set up kind of nice that way. But it was about 20 feet apart, and in between the two buildings, we put up a swing set for our, our little children. Terry was about four years old. And then Josh was five, and Philip was about eight. Well, one day... Carrie was missing. She had gone out to play, apparently, and we couldn't find her. And you know that frantic feeling. You start searching everywhere. My wife, Kay, was searching through the house, couldn't find her. She came out. I went through the church building because it wasn't uncommon that they ended up in the church building playing in the basement or something. And I went around there. I couldn't find her. We went running around the house and the parsonage and the church and all that. We couldn't find her. We came out all over just frantic. Several minutes go by, you can't find her. And I came out onto the front sidewalk in front of the church. And I looked down there. No, I don't see her. Look down there. Way down the road, there's the church, I mean the clerk treasurer of the town, walking toward my house with Carrie in her arms. And I said, whew. But anyway, I'm looking a block. She's a block down the road. The clerk treasurer said that she was about to cross the highway when she was looking out her window and saw her there and came out of her office and said, Don't move, Carrie! And then she came across and got her and she brought her home to us. Ever have an experience something like that? Story number one. Story number two, a few years later, we were serving a church in Rogers, Arkansas. The parsonage belonged to a church, not ours, to another church. On the left of our house was another church. On the right of our house was another church. We were in between all those, and we were renting this house from another church as our parsonage. So the backyard had eight acres of land, and there was... All wrapped up into neighborhoods in the back, and some are open and some are not. But there was eight acres of grass back there. I didn't want to mow it. All right? So I asked the church that we were renting from if they would allow me to put up a chain link fence. I did not want to incorporate all eight acres. I just went out 40 feet from the house. From the back, on the both sides, straight out and across the back. Now, 
Could the kids play in all eight acres? Yes. Why did I put up a fence? Because they were in prison? Well, they should have been. But the, the fact is, I set it up for their protection. It's so much easier to keep an eye on them when they're closer. When they're right here where they need to be, within feet of the backyard, we can look out the window and see them, and it was for their protection I put up a fence. You see a picture here? When we walk into this passage, he uses the word tereo, which is a Greek word for keep. But what it means is to guard something from loss or injury. It means to, to keep your eye upon something. It's not a prison term. It's not meant for a prison term. It's not a fortress term, like a military fortress or such like that. It's just to maintain something you already have to keep it good. You starting to see something? Do you have the love of God? Now, in that, we have to set up something in order to keep what you have in good order. Okay? This is what a maturing person does. Yes, does he have the love of God? Oh, yes, yes. Do it, should he grow in the love of God? Yes. Should he know it more? Yes. Should he enjoy it more? Yes. Should he mature in it? Yes. He's the guy who takes it seriously and sets up that boundary so he knows to spend time in it. This is where he's safe. This is where he's safe. See, God's love is already yours. It's yours. But it's not a plaque on the wall. It's not a diploma. It's not a certificate. God's love is yours to live. It's part of you. It's part of your life. It's part of your Christian walk. And when you are involved with God's love, you're seeking protection by Him, from Him, every single day because false teachers are out there. You are seeking help in your efforts to rescue other people who have fallen to the deception of a false teacher. That's the next set of verses. You have this protection. This love of God is yours. And we return to it. And we return to it. And we return to it because what it comes down to is that God is able, not us. God is able. So who do you go to when you need help? God. And who do you go to when you're maturing? God. That's where you're kept, folks. That's what your life is all about. Guard yourselves in the fact that God loves you. And God is able. Let me give you this verse out of Kenneth Weiss' translation. And it will help a lot. Because I, I thought this was being turned on the lights for me. Kenneth Weiss wrote, wrote directly from the Greek. But as for you, divine loved ones, building yourselves up constantly in the sphere of and by means of your most holy faith, and constantly praying in the sphere of and by means of the Holy Spirit, with watchful care, keep yourself within the sphere of God's love. Picture it. Maybe it's a circle to you. Maybe it's a rectangle. Where are you standing right now? Inside. In the sphere of God's love. Keep yourselves there. Keep yourselves there. As a believer, you are loved by God. But let me ask you this. 
what territory out there is, is in existence. Is it possible that you can step into a harmful place? Yes. Let me ask you this. Is it possible that I might neglect the building up of my faith and I could fall to a false teaching? Yes. Is it possible that I spend no time in prayer and then suddenly I have no direction in life and I'm making bad choices? Yes. Is it possible that I could forget that Jesus Christ is coming and I could live as if this is all there is? Yes. And does it ever hurt me to think that way? All the time. That's the danger that's out there. We can step into territory where we don't belong and we can get hurt. It's a mild way of saying the fact that believers can and do sin. The price tag is terrible. The consequences hurt a lot. It does not neglect or negate the fact that they were loved by God in the first place. Any more than my child heading down the road and, and being lost for a few minutes made her not my child. A lamb that wanders off from the rest of the herd can be in great danger. Especially if there's a lion standing by and it wants dinner. I said this many times before. We shouldn't drift away. We shouldn't get away from our shepherd. Stay close. Passages in Scripture comes with warnings. Believe it or not, this one's from Peter. You can look at it with me. First Peter chapter 5. It's just a few pages in front of where we are right now. First Peter chapter number 5. Let's look at the handful of verses here. And let me tell you who they're addressing. They're addressing mature individuals here. Not the weak believers. These are the mature ones. And look at what Peter had to say. 1 Peter 5, 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. He's talking to leaders, and guess what the issue could be? Pride. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your cares upon him, his anxiety, because he cares for you. This is just what Jude is writing about in different words. Notice the next thing. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to give a bad day to. No. Devour. Does that sound serious to you? He's writing to mature believers to look out. You are not immune from the dangers of false teaching or even the one who's brought it about in the first place, Satan himself. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. What is he saying? I would say similar to what Jude is trying to say here. Stay close to your God. Stay close to your God. The love that He's given to you, keep yourselves in it. 
It's just where we should be. Keep yourselves close to where the Spirit of God is. What does that look like? That means I am going to be building up my faith. Because the more I study His Word and grow thereby, the more I understand His love, and the more I stay close. I am going to be praying to Him. Because when I pray to Him, I learn dependence, and I seek Him for strength, and I seek Him for wisdom, and I seek Him for glory in each and every act. And that means that I understand His love for me, and I'm going to love Him more. And I am going to keep my eyes on the heaven because I can't wait to see Him. That's what a loving, mature believer wants to say. I can't wait to see Him. I can't wait. I will work until the day He calls me home. But I can't wait to see Him. That's a love that has been instilled with us because we don't love until He first loved us. This whole picture just comes all the way around as saying, stay close to your source. Stay close to your protection. Stay close to your provisions. Stay close to your direction. Stay close to your strength. Stay close to the one who loves you. Get closer, folks. Get closer. Don't take this command as, well, it's optional, it's no big deal. Guard that closeness. Keep yourselves there. If I'm coming across like I'm yelling, it's because the command is urgent. It's an errorist. I'm just giving it the flavor. I mean, Jude broke his pen writing this word. That's probably what. It's as if you've never done it before. Invest in this. Do it now, right now. It's not optional. And it's not casual. Oh, it's just about God's love. Folks, there's dangers to avoid here. There's a trap of a false teacher. Honestly, if this doesn't describe you being a command, it is disobedient. And you're setting up for a danger. You're setting up for a danger if you're not following through with this. Because verse 22 and 23 are the description of those who didn't do verse 21 and 20. You say, where did these guys come from in verse 22? Those are the ones who didn't pay attention to the previous verses. And guess what they need now? They need help. And who's going to help them? The ones who are close to the Savior. The ones who are strong and kept and protected and safe inside of His love. And they are the ones who can walk boldly into a bad situation and say, I can help because God love is keeping me. And that's where they are able to reach out. We have a trap of self-sufficiency out there. We have some who believe they can help a brother or sister on their own strength. That's contradictory to what Jude is saying. We don't move into verse 22 next week and say, well, the rest of this, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, these commands, now we're on verse 22. Well, you've got to have verse 20, uh, 17 and verse 21 in operation. You have to be remembering the Word, and you have to be staying close to the Lord. And by doing those things, you're growing and maturing, and you're strong, and you're able, and you're useful. And God says, now, look at your brother. He needs you. I've got you ready to use. Do you want to be that kind of a person? That God says, I could use you. I could use you. 
How do you do this? How do you survive all this? It comes back to a simple thing. God is able. God is able. Not us. God is able. He keeps you from falling. Isn't that what verse 24 says? Yes. He's going to make you stand in His presence with great joy and blameless. Isn't that great? Yes. He completely, perfectly, permanently loves you. He sets you apart. He keeps you. He's given you His mercy and His peace and His love. And in that arena, serve Him. Grow in Him. That's what Jude is saying. You've been given all this. Don't go wandering off. Stay close and grow. And grow. And trust Him. Because He's able. Does that make sense? I hope that hits somewhere in here. Right in this little square area. Because these things I read on a daily basis and study and work up these sermons and things. And man, by the time I'm done with it on Thursday, I just can't wait for two more days to share this with you. It's like, this is so important. And I want to move forward with it. And I want to see us all, all of us, doing what Jude is calling us to do. God is going to use us in an incredible way, folks. Because our world has incredible needs. And our brothers and sisters are getting caught in things they don't need to be caught in. Are we able, are we willing, are we ready to help our brothers and sisters? It all depends on what you're doing with verse 17 through 21. That's what it comes down to. So, let's talk to the Lord about this. Heavenly Father, we pray right now as we come before you that these words become more than just words to us, but they become our, our life direction. They become for us what drives us on to uh, follow after Christ in a deeper way, to desire it above everything else, to know your word and to know you, to know your love and to stay so close that we're ready, we're able, we're willing to be used by you. Lord, you do incredible things. And as a congregation, we stand before you and say, please do your work in our midst. Our world is not pretty at all, but we can, we can be different. And we are different because we're citizens of heaven. But may we stand out as unique individuals in a time of desperate need to help our brothers and sisters who are hurting today because they've stepped into dangerous territories and they have consequences. Lord, work in our hearts that we might be those kind of people that are close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.